Vinepair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. I'm Joanna Sherino. And I'm Zach Jabal. What the fuck, man? How'd you get here? <laughs> Welcome. That was too diabolical. Welcome. That was too diabolical. <laughs> you know, I worked on that laugh the whole flight. It I think a, you it did, was too. awkward for my seatmates. I was like, look, look, look. I, I, it's for a podcast. I'm not, I'm not uh, planning anything worse than that. Yeah, man. So you're in New York. What's up? I am in New York, yeah, here. Uh, in the studio. In the mm-hmm. studio. For, that uh, Keith built. The Keith, the Keith and, and Katie, Katie built. Yep. And Katie. Yes. The dynamic duo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, there's the house that uh, Ruth built here in the, the Bronx, and now there's the podcast studio that Keith and Katie built. So. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm very excited to be here. Uh, cool, thank man. You, thank you for having me. Of course, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, so I guess, you know, before we kick off today's subject, which is why you're in town, mm-hmm. um, you go first because you know you're the guest. What have, what have you been? What have you been into? Uh, well, you know that's a good question. I I definitely decided after our conversation about it the other uh, the other week that I would have a Bloody Mary on the flight. Mm. Um, by which I mean pretty terrible Bloody Mary mix and vodka. But, so you, you know, go vodka. You're like a vodka in the Bloody Mary. I was As opposed to gin. gin. I was. You just gave me the look of like, <laughs> who the fuck are you? Yeah. Literally, Joanna was like, like has. I mean, opposed as opposed to what? <laughs> well, I'm sure whenever the uh, whenever the vodka ep- or the Bloody Mary episode of Cocktail College we'll that's our requ- that's our requisite mm-hmm. uh, Cocktail College mention for this podcast. Apparently, <laughs> you're welcome, Tim. Um, it's cool. It's when we get into pay. that, we'll talk about variants. But I, I just I don't know. It was like I, I didn't feel like messing with it. Uh, not that it I could have messed with it to any extent I wanted, and I'm sure it would have tasted just about the same. But what did you fly again? Alaska. Alaska. Mm-hmm. And, and you know. It, it, Sorry, this is, I guess, going to be a, a little bit of a shot fired at Alaska. I was kind of underwhelmed at their drinks offerings. I, I yeah. Alaska has done; they had a good, they have a good local to Seattle IPA uh, on the flight, but I wasn't quite ready for a beer at ten thirty in the morning. Mm. Um, and and but otherwise, it was a little uninspired. Aren't they known for their customer service though? Like they are to be a good airline. I've flown I mean, them. Was, I've flown them before. It's been pretty good. Uh, I flight, mean, I, I don't know was, about the drinks. The but. flight was just fine. Just the the beverage selection was a little, uh, you know, they're not up. Can't in all the game. have tip top. No, nope, I was no. going to say no tip top. <laughs> Uh, I know, tip top. They do not pay for this podcast, by the way. I'm just, we're just big fans. Yet. <laughs> Yet. Uh, cool. What about you, Joanna? Um, well, I was very lucky that I got this opportunity to go to a wine dinner the other night. Um, it was to celebrate the 60th anniversary of Height Cellar. And, wow, they had some really exquisite wines that they opened and uh, from 86 and 87. No birth year. But no 1988, unfortunately, oh. for me, my birth year. Um, but a 99 and a 92 Martha's Vineyard mm-hmm. and a 1977 Bella Oaks. Oh, Ooh. man. These were all amazing. <laughs> I've never, I haven't had a lot of old wine. And it wasn't awesome. So it was, yeah. They were really fresh. Yes. That's really cool. Always a hallmark of heights. I mean, yeah. I haven't tried that many, but I've had a couple from the 80s in the mm-hmm. past. And yeah, they, they, they stand up really well. And I think... I have to ask because it's like you, this was something that I ran into occasionally when I would do wine dinners. It, was it hard working as a diner? I guess as someone just enjoying it. Like I guess when you're working with older wine, it's a little less in, a little less over the top. But it was always hard to do dinners where it's like here are eleven different Cabernet Sauvignons. Have fun pairing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like okay, yeah. No, we were talking with the Psalms and um, uh, they did all the pairings. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they did a really good job, but I I know from them without <clears throat> without having eaten the food that it was a little challenging. Yeah. So there was a seared there was a foie a foie gras dish, okay. and it typically comes chilled at this restaurant, which is one white down in Tribeca. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dustin Car- Wilson's new restaurant. Dustin Wilson's yeah. So Dustin and Carlton McCoy Jr. Okay. were doing the pairings, and Carlton suggested that the foie actually be seared. 
to pair with the wine that he had in mind. Mm. It was beautiful. And because Carlton is now the CEO of Domain. Uh, yes. Of Domain, which owns Heights. Yes, yep. correct. <clears throat> very cool, very cool. Yeah, it was great. How about Sweet. you, Adam? Yeah. Oh, man, how about Adam? Well, how, <laughs> that, how is about... Is that what we're doing now? How about Adam, folks? <laughs> Give us your thoughts. Oh, Podcast at VinePair.com. <laughs> so I was in Arkansas last weekend. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. Not quite Canada. <laughs> no, but but I did this really cool thing. I got to do this really cool thing with my little brother that I think we've talked about before or is like this thing you talk about to try to help, you know, wine consumers that he had never understood before, mm. which is so the first thing we did when we la- when I landed on Friday is he's like, I want to take you to my local wine shop and I just want you to point out Ooh. wines that drink. I should be drinking. Mm-hmm. Cool. And so what I realized is we walked in to the wine shop and I was looking at wines. And I was like, oh, okay. They have fucking Kermit Lynch. Ben, here's what his logo looks like on the back of the label. Mm-hmm. You're going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't need to show you anything else. Take a picture of this logo. I guarantee you. And it was great because they had, they had Kermit Lynch wines that were $10. They had Kermit Lynch wines that were $100. And I was just like, look, here's the deal. Go to this. Like, I found now an importer I know. Mm-hmm. You're going to be good. Okay. Right? You might not love all of them, but it's going to be better than you. Because, I mean, this... Let's be clear. This wasn't a wine shop. This was a massive, massive liquor store. Gotcha. Like, and they had crazy selection of beer. They had a cigar room. They (laughs) had tons of different, like, liquors. But they had a very robust wine section. And, you know, he said, he's like, yeah, sometimes I come here and, like, the people don't know anything about wine. Sometimes I get, like, the one guy that's like, oh, your collection, we should like to come back into the reserve room. Mm. And so Ben's just like, I just want to know, like, what to look for. So that was really helpful. And so then this was, this is, like, a little bit of a drive from his neighborhood. And then we went to his neighborhood, which was really uh, cute. It's this cool little neighborhood in in, uh, in Little Rock uh, called uh, Hillcrest. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like uh, Little Rock's a bunch of like it's a it's a city of neighborhoods. Okay. So like he has a little downtown Hillcrest mm. that we can walk from his house and his house on this really cool like nature preserve. Anyways, and there's like a street of restaurants and bars and there's a little liquor store there and we walked in at night because he wanted to see if there was anything different. And he was like, oh, Kermit Lynch. Like he saw me and I was like, yep, you're fine. So also, also turned him on. Keith would be very, very excited to some field recordings. I love field recordings. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, And then didn't, we tried to drink some, the local beers weren't amazing, Mm. you know, and he said he's had some issues. A lot of, but I was shocked at how many craft breweries there were. Yeah. There was like nine or 10. Oh, not, not a lot of stellar ones, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I don't think they're trying to be nationally known. They're like they're like the things for their neighborhood. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we, you know, just kind of hung out and drank some random stuff. Field recordings is one of the wines we drank because it was you know which. Uh, gosh, I don't even remember the name of it. Like their red blend. Yeah, it was really good though. Mm-hmm. It was cool. really really good. Fredo, um, the one that turns blue when you chill it. Not Fredo, no. <laughs> Um, Can you let me in on why this is a thing for Keith? His Paso. It's from Paso. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, Keith loves Paso Robles. So I thought it was maybe New Jersey wine. (laughs) No, it's not. No, no. But it's it's a really cool winery, and they have really great wines. But it was it was cool to see it there. And then on the flight, what did I drink? Mm. Because we both flew. Uh, I had some sweet water because that's like Delta's thing. So mm-hmm. I had sweet water on the way there and on the way back. Nice. I haven't been drinking a lot of cocktails tonight. Actually. Uh, at the next wave party will probably be my first cocktail in a month. Wow. Yeah, I've been trying to right. drink less spirits. Cutting back, right? Yeah. yeah. It's funny, after I've been messing around after our most recent episode uh, with uh, a salt-tasting Jägermeister. I've been kind of like, despite the, uh, the the content of that conversation and being focused on mostly it as a as a shot, I've been like playing around with it in cocktails a little bit. Mm. And, you know, i got to say, 
I rem- I stand by claims from uh, from Friday. Like, I think it's a it's a it's a more versatile and interesting spirit than I had given it credit for totally. before mm-hmm. last week. So very delicious. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's get into today's topic, yes. and I'm going to let Joanna introduce it. Oh. Um, so we're talking about the Next Wave Award. So uh, yes. today, which is uh, Thursday, when we're recording it, but everyone's listening to this on Monday. We launched our inaugural Next Wave Awards, which is going to be a massive program we put on every year. We're throwing a huge yes. party tonight with all the winners. Mm-hmm. Um, but Joanna, you want to explain what it is? Sure. So this is, as Adam said, this is our first year doing this awards initiative. And um, it's really meant to recognize uh, professionals and organizations across the wine, spirits, and beer industries who are just doing amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um, this year in particular, we're we're recognizing people who have kind of stood out and distinguished themselves over the past 18 months, two yeah. years, um, in this very challenging time. Um, so really, you know, we know, I acknowledge that there are a lot of awards programs out there. Yeah. Um, and this is another one, but we, we really just want to take this opportunity as a publisher to recognize people doing great things, pushing their respective industries forward and making them better places for people to, to work better for consumers. Um, and yeah, just better all around. So, so yeah, that's kind of the next wave. That's the the mission of the next wave awards. Mm-hmm. And as Adam said today, the package launched October twenty first with all sixteen of our winners. And tonight we are celebrating with a big party, huge party. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. I'm excited for that. I'm glad <laughs> we're recording before and not after. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you mean tomorrow? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think what's you know. What's interesting about the awards is I think you're right. There's every publication mm-hmm. ultimately has an awards package, right? Like that's just sort of what happens. Um, but I do think it's it's been interesting to hear the reactions of the people who have been mm-hmm. awarded of just oh my god, thank you so much. You know, th- there there's enough people that need to be recognized in the industry that I think there is space for different things and I think different perspectives. Um, not that I'm biased, but I think ours stands out because it's sort of the it's the packaging that's really looking at the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're not giving sort of these awards that are, you know, honoring people who've been in the industry for 35 plus years, right. things like that. Like, you know, you're not going to see a lot of, of that kind of person that mm-hmm. received the award. It's really, it's more about people who are, who are saying like, what's new and next. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think that's where you continue to push the industry forward. You build more inclusivity, you build more acceptance of different people and styles and ideas. Um, so that's what I'm really excited about. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, it was hard though. It was really hard to figure out who these people would be. I agree. Yeah. I think it was, you know, we were compiling our lists for each category and it just feels, it feels hard to pick a winner. I think there are a lot of people out there doing really great things that we've seen. And I feel like the, you know, our, um, podcast over the last 18 months has has spoken to a lot of those people yeah and we've covered a lot of those people in our vp pro q a series as well um so so it was definitely challenging to come up with this list of winners but like adam said i I feel really good about it so i have to ask a couple of questions as the quasi outsider here at least (laughs) and and one of them is i think about the the next wave awards and and maybe even more broadly not to be too navel gazy but like about kind of what we've done and what Vinepair as a publication more broadly has done, which is like, it does feel to me that, you know, that 18 month to two year time window that Joanna mentioned has been, you know, a transformative one for for mm-hmm. the industry um, and so many of the winners and I'm sure many of the other people under consideration reflect that, whether it's, you know, um, like the initiatives taken to um, 
you know, liberalize uh, to go cocktail laws in Illinois or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, changes made to, um, you know, just the way that um, like craft uh, canned cocktails are distributed and and credited to bartenders and stuff like that. And and not all of that traces directly to the pandemic, but it was such it has been such a transformative and seismic incident and and ongoing frankly mm-hmm. disruption yeah. in in the industry and so obviously you know considering that had had to be crucial what i'm wondering is like when we look at the at the winners and you look at the sort of just overall concept of the awards is your sense and for both of you i guess and then maybe i'll give my thoughts too like i wonder if there's a sense that not only are we are we honoring people who who are forward looking but also people who kind of looked at what was going on and were like I mean, not to be too creepy, like, this is fucked up. And, like, we have to do something. And I think there were all, I mean, everyone recognized that to some extent. But, you know, you read some of these stories, you know, really beautifully well-written profiles and and, and just read about um, these people and what they've done. And you go, like, wow, these are people who could have, you know, done what I did, like, cower in fear, basically. And instead they were, like, I I mean, maybe some cowering in fear, but also, like, (laughs) we're going to really try and make meaningful change in this industry in a whole host of ways. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. I think I think a lot of the, if not all of the people who have won, are people who didn't weren't just complacent, mm-hmm. and they didn't mm-hmm. just watch their businesses kind of fall apart over the past eighteen months. They they like you said stood up and did something and and made change in the industry for the better. Yeah, I think so too. I think you know there's a lot of op- like there's a lot of examples here, obviously, um, and it's as simple as you know. Julia Momose, who started, you know, calling very vocally as the real bartender in Chicago saying like, we need to go cocktails too. And like mm-hmm. putting herself out there to, yeah, and yeah. taking that risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, watching what had happened in New York and California, like this has to happen here. It's also, you know, people like Alexis Percival, you know, the sommelier, our sommelier of the year who, you know, said, I'm going to be vocal and to say to the city, like we need to shut down. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, like the, it's not just about money at the end of the day. It's also about the health and safety, safety. of our of mm-hmm. our employees. Yeah, and we need the government to do that because we cannot trust individuals to operate, you know, in the best interests all the time. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right? We do need legislation. I mean, same with vaccine mandates. But you know, I think it's <laughs> it's that that's the kind of stuff that's really inspiring because it does take a lot to put yourself out there like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Um, and to take those risks, especially when some of the things you're calling for in the you know case of Alexis is is it the detriment of your business, right? Yeah. It's like right. I, you know she could have said like no, keep us open, keep us open, like let's make and the money. Let, mm-hmm. Lots of people did say that. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. To be fair. And and that's not even to be too critical of them. No, I, not I at all. Understand that your you know operators were all put in an impossible position. Yeah, but. I also want to ask you guys, because I'm curious about this, as you think about kind of this inaugural batch of winners. And obviously, you know, again, we we just mentioned it'll be sort of always time stamped with this period of time and, and you know, what COVID meant for, yep. for mm-hmm. this industry more broadly. But I'm wondering, too, you know, there are, there are some here that I think are not as you know, not as COVID related specifically. And I'm curious in particular, you know, there are two, two honorees um, from Uncle Nearest, which yeah. I think is a really cool story. And, and one that frankly, I'll admit I was not until reading the profiles was not as aware of as I should have been. I mean, I had sort of seen it, but hadn't uh, dove into it. What was it about what they're doing that felt so, um, you know, merited so much attention? Well, I, we, we have a Q and a on the site with Victoria E.D. Butler, mm-hmm. who is their master blender. <clears throat> 
Um, so we talked to her, and I think, and then we also have coverage of Fawn Weaver and the um, the work that she's doing and the venture fund that she put together. Um, I think what we tried to do was to really pinpoint initiatives that launched or things that happened in the last year or so and and take that with, you know, we've also been in New York for the most part. Mm-hmm. So so our scope is somewhat limited in terms of how, how much we've traveled and things like that. But, but for us, the two of them both were outstanding in, in what they're doing right now and in the with the initiatives that they've launched in the past 18 months. I think, I think in terms of Fawn, right? Like um, Fawn Weaver, who's the, you know, the founder of Uncle Nearest. Mm-hmm. I think what she represents is what has been discussed as being so important in terms of entrepreneurship, but doesn't happen that often mm-hmm. when people become successful. Mm-hmm. And that is that she is very invested in the promotion and investment in other people of color who are entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the, you know, I've sat on a lot of entrepreneurial boards, um, especially uh, around, you know, how we can help people of color, indigenous, et cetera, who are entrepreneurs. And one of the biggest issues is the raising of funds. Yeah, yeah. money, actually. It's actual access to capital, Financial right? Investment. It's, yeah. And the <laughs> fact that she is saying, I've been successful mm-hmm. and I'm going to take my wealth and instead of doing lots of other things with it, I'm going to invest it back into this specific community mm-hmm. is extremely impressive and it's setting an example for lots of other people. Yeah. And I think that, you know, she just is so impressive that way. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it, it was warranted beyond just Uncle Nearest. Because I think, oh, sure. you know, it could have been, oh yeah, she started this incredible brand that's raised a lot of awareness ar- around the stories we tell about whiskey yeah. mm-hmm. and who actually created a lot of these products. Like, you know, there there's a lot more people who are involved in all the things we drink than just mm-hmm. the one person whose name, you know, who, who, whose name was on the deed, if yeah. you will, right? But I think that it's even more than that. And this, this fun that she has is just so amazing. So mm-hmm. that's why it was both, you know, they both yeah. won separate awards in that regard. And not just the brand. Exactly. A spirits brand. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Exactly. I'm also wondering, I guess I'm, this format podcast, podcast format is I'm just asking you guys. That's fine. Which is fine. I, I, I can do that. Um, I'm wondering, you know, some of the other people that we looked at, like, you know, uh, Joanne, I think you mentioned that we have, you know, we have talked to a lot of these people already in one form or another, mm-hmm. either via next round next episodes round, yeah. or VP Pro uh, Q&As or whatever. And and one of the people whose stories I really uh, was, was struck by when we did the podcast episode and then in reading about it more is um, Aaron Polsky with yeah. Livewire, mm-hmm. and and you know the the record label conceit or the or analogy that he's made and and this idea of of Livewire being about more yeah you know a, a record company that just happens to make you know canned cocktails as opposed to record yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. and and I'm wondering you know like. I read that and I thought, man, like it makes total sense to me if I were a bartender with some recognition that like, of course I want my name, you know, if I'm going to do this and I don't have quite the wherewithal to launch my own brand mm-hmm. all of its or own, the time own, or the time. Right. Yeah. Or, <clears throat> or just the, you know, the, the infrastructure, frankly, right? Like that's always a little challenging. And I wondered, I mean, this is maybe now we're just kind of wandering a little bit of field, but like, does that seem like a model that would make sense? Like, could you see the equivalent in beer or, or, wine or does it feel like i guess brewers and winemakers already have their own their own companies is it really just something about this like idea of capturing the bartender's you know kind of brilliance in a can that that makes that work 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, how how might it work for other other categories? Like, yeah, I think because I think in the in the wine the beer space, like you already have it to some extent, like the collaborations that might happen between right. like other half and trillium, mm-hmm. things like that, right? Where and we know you don't want a line of Cicerone, uh, you know, right. affiliated no. beers. So. No, they they don't make beer; they serve it. Um, <laughs> so you know, I mean, I think that's the, the difference is that you know in in the world of service professional the bartender sits very separately from the sommelier and the mm-hmm. cicerone mm-hmm. as a person who not only serves but also makes yeah. the drink and creates mm-hmm. really. creates, yeah. creates right, right. Uh, very different right i mean you talk to um you know so one of the one of the other awardees is gage and tolner right mm-hmm. so they um are winning our food and beverage program of the year and mm-hmm. you know if you talk to sinjin frizzle who's the beverage director and one of the owners uh you know, the amount of testing they do to mm. create the perfect Manhattan, right? And and how much goes into that is a lot more chef-esque, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to take away from Cicerones or Psalms, but it is to say I think it's different. And so when, you know, you, you read about these bartenders, I think what Aaron has done, which is so cool, is he's saying, I know that a lot of you will never probably get to go and have, you know one of these bartenders cocktails mm-hmm. right? Shannon Mustafer is yeah, yeah. you know is is one of the people who's done one of his cocktails right she's probably arguably one of the the most highly respected tiki bartenders mm-hmm. in the world mm-hmm. um and so here's a way you can right you know and i think that that is very cool mm-hmm. uh and super unique and the fact that he also gives proceeds back to the bartenders yes is also revolutionary. So he's not just trading on their name or yeah. paying them a one-time fee, et cetera. Like they see a return on every, and they really feel ownership. So I don't know if this is public, but I'm just going to, so, you know, <laughs> <Do it. laughs> Masa from Katana Kitten is about to come out with a, a, a live wire. A, a, a live wire. Nice. And when I was talking to Masa, he's like, oh, I can't wait for you to see my canned cocktail brand. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, he almost considers it his brand yep, inside sense. Livewire. And I think that that is it. really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, Masa doesn't have the time to, you know, figure out then the marketing plan and the sales plan and all this stuff. But he had the time to develop mm-hmm. the cocktail with yep. Aaron and then he's going to put it out. I think it's, yeah. it's very, really, really revolutionary. When we chatted with Shannon Mustafer months ago for a different podcast, she also said, but this was before her, her drink came out, but she was like, I'm launching an RTD. Yeah. Like it was hers. And like I think hers. that's great. Yeah. It's really I think cool. It's amazing. What, it, what makes it uh, stand apart, I think, from all these other brands that have come out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm also wondering, you know, I'm thinking about some of the other things that have happened in the last year and a half. And I, you know, we started out by talking about COVID and its impact on the yeah. industry. But but it should not go, um, you know, unnoticed or unmentioned that, you know, contained within that you had, you know, real um, pushes for more um, equality and social justice and, and awareness about many of those things. And I actually... You know, it started before the pandemic, but, you know, you were also talking about kind of the Me Too movement and awareness about, mm-hmm. you know, the way that people are treated in uh, people of all sorts are treated within these industries. And and that meant to me means I think I want to mention what Brave Noise is doing as well. Yeah. And um, this idea of really, you know, it's, it's an ongoing thing. It's, it, you know, it's been it's been on social media a lot. We've we've talked about it. Um, it's been on on the site. But this idea of really kind of giving you know, really calling out some of the truly horrific behavior in craft beer. Mm-hmm. But then also I think, and this is maybe where the, something like the next wave wars are so good at recognizing things is not just, I mean, it is obviously hugely important to call this out, but then to also do what they've done and sort of turn it into a movement for change as opposed to um, merely, and again, this sounds like I'm I'm dismissing the importance of, of putting that information out there. It is hugely important to have out there, but it's also, I think, provided sort of a hopeful 
forward-looking vision for craft beer that is more inclusive, that is not abusive. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But but you guys are, you know, at least as familiar with the story as I am. I don't know, Joanna, is there more that we should say? Yeah, I think the I think that what's important to to mention about Brave Noise and kind of what what sets it apart from other collaborations of a similar kind is that they. The accountability part yeah. is really big. And like, uh, I think when, we, as of publishing, there have only been like, I don't know, less, fewer than 200 breweries participating in this collaboration, mm-hmm. which is kind of shockingly mm-hmm. low, um, considering yeah. how many craft breweries yeah, there are yeah, out there. Um, and so I think it's like the bar is really high for these breweries to participate in what all the things that they need to do to be a part of this collaboration. And I think there's, it just, it just, really highlights how much work there is to be done. Um, So, so yeah, I I think that's why this is an incredibly important initiative in the the craft beer industry right now. Agreed. I totally agree. I mean, I think, you know, what, what they're doing is extremely important and craft beer, you know, I think this sort of segues into a few of the other things around beer that we're highlighting in this list. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, one of the, the most impressive um, you know, organizations we're awarding are, is our brewery of the year mm-hmm. to me, which is Talea, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it's impressive because it's so fucking simple. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because one of our other awardees, so uh, Breeze Galindo, who's, who's brewer of the year at Other Half, uh, I was I got I got to meet her for the first time in person on Monday because um, I went over to Other Half to sort of say hi and also pick up some beer for the party. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, and she was asking, she's like, "Can you tell me who the brewery of the year is? Can I tell you? Can you tell me who the brewery of the year is?" I was like, it's Talia. And she was like, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Aww, and I was like, so nice. and, and we were talking about it and she was saying the same thing, which is, you know, what is so exciting about it is that there's been, craft beer has been screaming forever that they were, are dead in the water if they can't let in other groups besides white bearded men. No offense to Zach and I, but, <laughs> and Keith. And Keith. Keith. Yeah. But like, you know, that, that really that's always in the stereotype, right? Uh-huh. And that, and part of that is that these, these spaces that have been created in craft beer are, are built through the gaze of white bearded men, mm-hmm. yeah. right? They are not welcoming. They are, you know, they, they do not, act, they do not help the people behind the taps don't it's just like not a consideration. Not right? at all. Right. Well, Cause they've been welcoming to white bearded men. Exactly. And so of course and, it and, feels and, and, and fine. Who, and mm-hmm. in that demographic, maybe like likes to be talked down to and maybe like, likes to say, like think they have the knowledge and not ask questions and whatever. Mm-hmm. And like what Talea does so well is first of all, the beers are great, mm-hmm. but then the space is just super airy and open and bright and beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is a great place to just spend the mm-hmm. day with all kinds of people. The staff is incredibly well trained on the beers and they are incredibly open to any question you might have. It's not fucking hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they did it and it I cannot believe it took this many years for 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 people to do it mm-hmm. and it's just like, you know, now this brand is exploding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's going to be a massive massive brewery brand because they did what people have been saying someone should do forever. They did it authentically. Very mm-hmm. cool. I, I know uh, there are you know more award honorees that we could mention and and again you absolutely should go check out all of the profiles. I gotta mention one mm-hmm. well I have I have to ask you about one because <laughs> yeah. I, I have to ask you about horse in yes that's what I want to talk I, about I figured so you know shout outs to Lancaster PA where my fake ID was from the lake. oh really that's amazing yeah uh, I, now I, if it was you know now I could tell people something about it but uh, so talk, talk, let me talk, talk about, about horse in so we talked about okay so. 
I talked to Aaron Goldfarb, who wrote the profile on them for this about this a bunch because he's been, I've been, Keith has been to Horse Inn before. Um, you know, the, the couple that owns it have an amazing pedigree of dining right there. They, they've, they've worked under Sean Brock, Mm -hmm. you know, like they understand great locations and they, they chose Lancaster of all the places they could have chosen to open a place. And where this conversation started with Aaron and I before, when we were trying to think of who we were nominating for this, and there were a lot of bars we looked at all over the country Mm -hmm. is, I hate to sound like this, but it is true that there's so many bars that get press around the country just for being okay because it happens to be the best bar in that city. And mm-hmm. like, we want to say that there's this huge mm-hmm. craft cocktail movement. So we just say that X bar in X town is like great. And then we'll go there as New Yorkers or Seattleites who have, you know, you have truly great bars, et cetera. And you'll, is it Seattleites? That's amazing. Yes, it is, is it? Seattleites. Seattleites. <laughs> Seattleite. Is that why that Dave Matthews is from Seattle? Uh, and maybe satellite Seattleite, and then his stupid song. Anyway, I don't know what I, you're talking about, so, but that's cool. You know, I just think of it. Just, yeah, Seattleite. Anyways, Oof. so you can hear it, right? Um, I can tell. Joanna's like, I can't I believe Adam is singing on this. Podcast. I had a stupid. Oh. I had a stupid. I'm just gonna admit, it, I had a stupid Dave Matthews band phase mm. when I was like 15 years old. Mm. Who didn't? I, I did, did not. You ever? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Who didn't? Did you have I fish? think I heard ants. No. Fish. <laughs> No, I do not wear sandals. <laughs> oh, yeah, I could tell. You could tell. Big I'm wearing feet. shoes. <laughs> Anyways, so let's get to it. <laughs> wow, we've so, gone way after us. Yeah. Horse in. So, Horse so, in. Anyways, so, what so what I was saying is, basically, you know, then we'll go there and you'll be like, this place is not that good. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we had an experience at a specific bar in Atlanta um, mm-hmm. that had gotten a lot of press, you know, and we were talking about Horse in. Aaron's like, I... Garen fucking to you if this bar existed in New York every cocktail writer in the city would hang out here mm-hmm. every single drinks professional would come here mm-hmm. right this is on par mm-hmm. with Toby Caccini's Long Island bar mm-hmm. this is on par with like Boilermaker these are you know great this is a great bar mm-hmm. and then on top of that it has incredible food right it has this ridiculous whiskey selection, mm-hmm. and somehow it's in Lancaster, it which has is cra- crazy history too, right? Yeah, and this crazy history, you know, like <laughs> it's like it's, a very old. Ta- it's one of the oldest taverns in Lancaster. Yeah, I mean, like it's hundreds uh, over a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. Like it's just this really amazing story, and I think it just speaks to the fact that there really can be truly incredible bars. I mean, when I was there. Most recently, I was like, I could have stayed here all night. Like, mm-hmm. I could have drank here all night. I would have been really drunk. But the, the cocktails are so incredible. It probably is the best burger I have had ever. Ooh, Keith, wow. do you agree? I agree. Yeah. He agrees. Keith, Keith agrees. <laughs> I mean, an incredible burger. But it's – and the place is just fun. There's, like, no pretension. Yeah. There's no, like – there's no guest list. There's no secret password. There's no phone booth to walk through. Like, mm-hmm. you can just make damn good cocktails. Yeah. You know? And so that is what I think is so exciting about them. And it's also in a city that, as Aaron says in his write-up, continues to, for whatever fucking reason, be a sleeper on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really make sense for the fact that the majority of the produce that's that's – use in, in the kitchens in New York City is coming from Lancaster County and the mm-hmm. and the meat and the fact that there are distilleries and breweries and really great restaurants there. Like So you mean the thing that everyone says about the Hudson Valley is actually really true. It's actually about happening Lancaster. in Lancaster. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And mm-hmm. you know, and it's three hours away, which is basically the same distance as Hudson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
What? And Hudson does not have a bar like this. Yeah. There are there are multiple new there are multiple neighborhoods in New York that do not have a bar like this. Mm. If this was in New York, this would be a top five bar. Wow. And that I think is why we awarded it because <laughs> we were like, you know, this really would be a standout. All right. And well, that means we go. need to wrap things up because I believe you promised me cocktails. Well, later. and one of their cocktails is on the list. Yes. So, so yeah. So there we yeah, go. Right. But uh, but yeah, this has been a lot of fun. And mm-hmm. check out the list. Let us know what you think. And uh, and I bet we could probably say that uh, you know any suggestions for the 2022 awards, you can probably send them to send us. Them yeah, send them I've already gotten some pitches today. Oh, really? <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, um, of course you have. Yeah, of oh. course. I mean, look, if you're not PR and you're not PR, right? <laughs> All right. I will. Uh, I'll see you guys Friday. Thanks so much. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also... I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.